message from Valley Bible Fellowship. It is our sincere prayer that you're richly blessed through the ministry of the Word. For more information about VBF, visit our website at vbf.org. Well, good morning, good morning. Good to see everybody. Good to see Bakersfield hometown family. I want to say hello to our Tehachapi campus and our Northwest campus and uh, our online audience. Hello to you out there. Good morning. Christmas. Oh, my gosh. It hit me this morning. 13 days away. Uh, Coming up fast. I'm telling you, you young parents, uh, you parents of young children, start banking your sleep hours because you know that 4 o'clock in the morning knock's coming for you, you uh, parents of young kids, ready to open gifts. Oh, my, my son, he was horrible, Seth, when he was young. He'd be up at old dark 30 and, Dad, can we open gifts? And and uh, oftentimes, he would start opening gifts two days before, but we weren't aware of it. Vicky looked on the tree one year and said, what in the world? I didn't set those gifts up like that and looked closer, and it'd been unwrapped and then trying to be rewrapped. He was in there unwrapping them, looking in there, see what he was going to get, and then try to cover his tracks or something. So anyway, it's, uh, it's something. Uh, waiting is hard for kids, but you know what? Waiting is hard for adults. Waiting on God. For something that you want really, really bad or something you've been praying for, to me, is one of the most difficult things about being a Christian. It's so hard for me to wait. It's so hard for me to try to understand why is God delaying in, in answering this prayer or, or bringing this to me. And then on top of it just being hard anyway to wait for God or just to wait, period, now we've got the COVID-19 pandemic that has caused supply chain issues where things take forever now once you order to get there. Uh, Shortage of employees for businesses uh, have caused all kinds of uh, wait lines. The the wait period has increased dramatically over our nation. In fact, many restaurants have posted signs, I'm not sure if you have them here in Bakersfield, that say in Las Vegas, please be patient. Uh, We're we're going as fast as we can with the number of employees that we have. And... uh, Vicky and I went to our favorite little taco shop. We go on Wednesdays, $1.29 tacos. So typically they, they staff up that day because a lot of people come in there. That day they only had two workers. And we waited like 30 minutes, which normally it's like five minutes you're in and out. But I, you know, I, I realize it's, it is what it is. But the guy that ordered ahead of me, he was, I could tell he was sitting next to us there waiting. I could tell he was like grunting and snorting. And he got up there. And of all people to have his order messed up, they messed up his order. And he said, I didn't order this. this. I did not order this. No, no, I didn't, I didn't say that. I didn't order this. And his voice is getting higher, and eventually he says, well, just... And he started dropping the F-bomb and cussing and screaming and walked out of there, left his food on the counter. I mean, I would have grabbed the food at the very least. So what? You know, you got a beef taco instead of a chicken taco. It's a taco. Just eat it. And he just walked out, got in his car out of the parking lot, just lost his mind because of having to wait too long and then having his order messed up. Now, in this world that we live in that is constantly trying to speed things up, technology, one of the goals of technology is make it faster. You know, how can, how can we, we shorten the process of having to wait? 
this whole waiting uh, time in our country that has been uh, lengthened has really stressed and tried many of us. And so uh, I think most of us, I know I have to be honest, I embrace the mantra that we want what we want and we want it now. I don't want to have to wait. I want it now. But waiting for things has been mankind's struggle since Adam and Eve. It's been something that we've had to deal with, something that you desire, you cannot attain it right now, or something that you pray for, the answer doesn't always come. In fact, most of the time doesn't come right away. The Bible has many examples of people in the waiting stage. That stage between what God said they can have or what they've asked of God or what God has promised to the actual fulfillment of it. For instance, David. Uh, David was anointed as uh, the successor to King Saul uh, as a young teenager. But it was 15 years before he actually ascended to the throne. And if you know that story, it was a rough 15 years on the run from Saul and a very hard, hard life. 15 years before God fulfilled that promise. And of course, uh, Joseph, we know his story, given the dream that he would be in a position of authority even over his parents and over his brothers. Uh, but it was 13 years before that actually happened, and a very difficult 13 years if you know that story. So waiting has been mankind's lot since the beginning of time. Now, as we begin our Christmas season messages here at Valley, I want to introduce you to a man who is a part of the Christmas story uh, but he's also a man who is waiting on God, and his name is Simeon. We read about Simeon in Luke chapter 2. Verse 21, And when eight days had passed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem, present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens a womb shall be called holy to the Lord. In the book of Leviticus, they have this, this process of what to do with your uh, firstborn uh, son. And it's an elaborate process. There's, there's sacrifices offered here. We see a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And actually, in Leviticus, it says that the, the uh, traditional, the normal sacrifice would be an ox. But, it says, in case of someone who doesn't have money, if they can't afford an ox, they can bring a couple of turtle doves. And Joseph and Mary, of course, being young and being married. How many of you remember being young and married? Uh, not, not a whole lot of money when you're young and married. And they didn't have a lot of money, so they were able to bring the, basically the poor man's uh, sacrifice. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout looking for the consolation of Israel. He was looking for the Messiah. He, he, he read the scriptures and said, there's a promised Messiah, and, and he's going to come, and he's going to redeem Israel. He's going to free us, and he he's maybe didn't have all the details, but he knew that there was a promised Messiah, and it says that uh, he was looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. What a great promise. Simeon was, was promised by God, this Messiah, this Redeemer of Israel, you will get a chance to see him. Before you die, you will actually see him. And so this guy was holding on to this promise. We don't know how long that promise had been given. Was it 
a year ago? Was it five years ago? Was it 20 years ago? We don't know, but he's waiting for that. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, or he was led by the Spirit. Oh, are, are we learning? I know you are here because it's, it's one of uh, Valley's uh, fortes here to be led and live a lifestyle led by the Spirit. Are you learning to hear the voice of the Spirit? Are you learning to be led by the Spirit? If not, that is such a crucial thing. There will be times when the Holy Spirit will speak to your heart and he'll say things like, call your parents, check on them. Call your brother, invite him to church. Pray for this situation. I want you to go here. I know you weren't planning to go to this event, but no, I want you to go to that event. You feel the Spirit prompting you to do that. Oh, we have to listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And here, Simeon, he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, <clears throat> to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him in his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you're releasing your bondservant to depart in peace. He says, I'm good. I can die now. I, I've seen the Messiah. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. <clears throat> He's the light of revelation to the Gentiles, Jesus is, and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother, Joseph and Mary, were amazed at the things which were being said about him. Now, remember, this young couple, what a whirlwind. Mary is told by an angel, you're going to be uh, pregnant by the Holy Spirit, not by Joseph, by no natural man. And, and this miraculous birth, and then talked with Elizabeth, uh, her, her cousin, and, and uh, she's pregnant with John the Baptist, and the baby's going nuts inside of her stomach. John the Baptist is when Mary goes in the room, and just all of this crazy stuff is taking place. The shepherds that came, and the wise men, and she's just scratching her head saying, ah, wow, just a whirlwind. And now all of a sudden, God is going to give some perspective to the situation by letting Simeon become prophetic. And, and Simeon blessed him and said to Mary, Behold, the child is appointed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. He said, Mary, he said, there's, there's, I'm letting you know kind of ahead of time. It's going gonna, it's gonna to give you some perspective as Jesus uh, becomes a man. And ultimately, you're going to realize that as he's on the cross there, this was God's plan from the very beginning. It's going to pierce your heart. It's, it's, it's just going to, it's going to tear your mother's heart out of you. But there's a reason for it. That, that's part of God's plan. And so I'm sure those words from Simeon really helped her uh, in that horrible time that she had to, to uh, experience. Now, again, we don't know how long Simeon waited between uh, the promise from God and the fulfillment. But... As Simeon and as most of us, we don't like to wait. We want what we want, and we want it now. We pray, and, and we want God to answer. But there are some benefits to waiting on God. And I want to point out what I see in the Bible. I see a couple things in the Bible. First of all, I see that waiting builds endurance. When you have to wait, it builds endurance in your life. Webster's Dictionary defines endurance as the ability to withstand hardship and adversity. The writer of the book of Hebrews, in encouraging a group of believers who were facing increasing persecution, after Jesus uh, ascended back to the Father after his resurrection, the church was formed, 
And the persecution by Rome really began to ramp up. And that's when you have the days of the Colosseum where they would throw Christians to the lions. And just all this time, they, they were really being persecuted. And many of them were, uh, were being tempted to just abandon the faith. It's too hard to serve God. I'd just soon not serve him and make my life easier. And Paul says this in Hebrew, or the writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 10, 36. He says, you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. He says, if you're going to get all that God wants for you in life, you are going to have to endure some hard times, some difficult times, some confusing times, some times where life doesn't make sense, where you can't figure out where God is in your life. He says, you're going to have to endure that. And if you do, he says, there'll be a payoff for it. When Vicki and I were in Colorado Springs, pastoring the church there, I woke up one day and I looked in the mirror and said, oh, you need to get back to the gym. And so I uh, joined a gym, and uh, I hadn't lifted weights in five years, so the, the weight you know, that I knew was a weight uh, limit that I had five years ago. So I just put the pins right where I picked off, left off five years ago. And believe it or not, I crushed it. You know how it is when you first start lifting weights, you're like strong. It's like, oh, my God, boom, boom. I haven't missed a beat here. No problem. Until I got up the next morning. And I kid you not, I'm not even exaggerating here. I couldn't lift my arms any higher than this. I, I just couldn't lift it. And so I'm in there trying to wash my hair. And, and I'm kind of like this. And, and then I had to blow dry my hair. Vicky was gone by this time. You're trying to blow dry your hair with the arm only here? It's kind of dip. I'm down here and... Finally, I got one side dry, the other side, so one side was sticking way out here, and the other side was padded back. And Why? Because I wanted it now. I, I wanted to pick up and make up for five years right now. But see, that's not how things happen. You have to endure some things. For instance, Vicki and I just celebrated 43 years of marriage uh, two weeks ago. 43 years. And we're experiencing the payoff of enduring, you know, all the struggles that couples go through. We, we, oh, we're just really enjoying each other. We're, we both mellowed out. We've, we're, we've grown in the Lord. Uh, she's not as fired up as she used to be. I told you before, my wife is Greek. Turn, turn it off, sorry. Greek, Italian, Native American. Uh, and so it's like living with Pancho Villa, Zorba the Greek, El Chapo, you name it. And she, she's fired up, but she's just mellowed. She's such a godly woman. And, and I'm no day at the beach, uh, but I've mellowed. And, and things that used to bug me don't bug me much anymore. And we just we get along great. We really enjoy each other's company now. But I tell you, <clears throat> the path to get there is just littered with all kinds of bloody fights and struggles and needing to change, and having to humble myself and say, it's me, I'm sorry, I'm critical, I'm harsh. I mean, it's just all those things, times when we just kind of never voiced it over the years, but wondered, are we going to make it another year? And, and you, it's littered, but I'm glad that we endured. I'm glad we hung in there. I'm experiencing the fruit of it now. And so if you have a troubled marriage right now, you're one of the same things, let God do the changes in you. You have to change. If you want a good marriage, you have to change. Well, I'm just kind of how I am. She knew that when I married you. You got to change. 
You have to change. Both of you have to change. And if you let God do that, you'll reap the fruit of it. You single adults, I know it gets hard. You're praying, saying, oh, I want a spouse. Let me give you a test. A lot of, a lot of some singles will say, I've got the gift of singleness. Here's the test. Do you want to, being very honest to yourself, do you want to be married? Yes. Okay, then you don't have the gift of singleness. Because if you had the gift of singleness, you, you would be totally content. You'd have zero desire to be married. So if you want a companion, then, then you don't have the gift of singleness. And now it's God's will that you marry. God wants you to have a spouse. So now it comes down to a question of who and when. Who and when. Well, how come it's not happening now? I don't know. Let me give you some possibilities. Maybe one is God is preparing you. There's, there's still some rough edges he needs to get knocked off of you. Or maybe God needs to knock some rough edges off your mate that you don't even know yet, but God's working on him to, to get, or working on her to get you there. Uh, and so anyway, just, just, just trust that if you have a desire to be married, it's God's will too, and he wants to give it to you. Just hang in there. Now, God doesn't remove every problem person, every situation in our life. He uses those to build endurance in us. He wants us to, to be able to endure things, and so he will cause problems. He will cause hard, stressful times. But if you'll acknowledge that and go with it, you'll see the benefit of it. I saw the benefit of, of enduring pain as a high school football player. Uh, again, I went to high school here in uh, Bakersfield. I went to BHS, and uh, we, we, uh, I played football, and we played – uh, the first game of the year was our rivalry against Garces. And it was BHS and Garces, big crowd, always packed stadium. And uh, my junior year, or senior, one of the years, uh, I was quarterbacking, and they kept calling my play. It kept working. They kept calling it. Kept, and it was a run play. And I kept running and running. And remember those first games in Bakersfield, like 100 degrees outside? And I am just dog-tired. I mean, to the point of almost like throwing up, you're just so tired. But I was able to keep going. Why? Because our coach was having us do something for the last two weeks called Arkansas's. Arkansas is, is, was a, uh, a wind sprint, but he would line the whole team up on the sidelines, and then one person would start, and then the next person, you know, once he got two steps to start, it was like an S. And you go from one side to the other, and then back, and then back, and then back and forth, and he just kept going up and down. And like it seemed like forever. And we thought we were going to pass out. We thought we were going to die. But what we didn't realize is, Coach was building what? Endurance in us. We were, we were getting to the point where our cardio was increasing. So although it was a very trying game, because of the condition I had, I was able to finish it, okay? And the, what was the result? Well, we beat Garces. Sorry, any Garces Ram football fans here. Uh, but see, if you will endure, you too will be victorious in your situations. You'll get through, but you have to endure tough, tough times. Now, here, here's the second uh, point. Uh, that, in fact, funny aside to the story, has nothing to do with this message, but just a little funny aside. Uh, after that same game, uh, Vicky and I, we did it in high school, and uh, we went up to uh, Lover's Lane. Any of you remember Lover's Lane, Pan uh, Panorama Bluffs up there? Oh, you, you holy people, or you young people. Now, Lover's Lane, where lovers went. Now, I don't know what they were doing up there, but I was just talking about the meaning of life with Vicky and discussing uh, ethics. And So we're in the back seat, right? And all of a sudden, that game, you know, I'm dehydrated. Lack of water, all of a sudden, boom, cramp here. Boom, cramp there. Boom, cramp my back. And I'm like locked up. Seriously, I'm locked up. 
I said, get in the front seat. Drive. Where? Home. Get me home. I said, I can't even move. So we get home, and I just kind of fall out of the car and, and see you. And, and nothing to do with my teaching at all. Not a thing to do with it. Secondly, here, here's, here's the second benefit of waiting on God. It brings deliverance. It'll bring deliverance from something that has a hold of you or something that is, is causing you tear in your life. That's what waiting can do. Now, I want, I want to introduce you to a verse that many of you, you'll never have, have seen yet this aspect of God, but it's, I'm going to introduce this side to you. It's found in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18. It says, Therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious to you, and therefore he waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are those who long for him. Whenever you see the word therefore, you've got to figure out what it's there for. And here's the setting. The setting is Israel getting ready to be invaded by their arch nemesis, the, the country that just continually would cause them grief, the Assyrians. And the Assyrians were a bigger nation, a stronger army, and they had come against Israel many times before, and Israel had, in times past, called upon God, and God would miraculously uh, provide for them and protect them. But in this case, for some reason, Israel decided to look elsewhere for help, and they looked to Egypt. They went and they said, hey, Egypt, uh, Assyria is coming after us. I know that you don't like them as well. Let's form a coalition here. And if we link up together, we can defeat them. Now, in the Bible, Egypt is always a symbol of the world system, this system that is anti-God, this culture that is under the strong, heavy influence of Satan, it says in 2 Corinthians 4.4. It's a system that says we can live life apart from God. We can do it on our own. That's what Egypt always symbolizes. And Israel went to the world for help, and God says, Bad mistake, bad mistake. And, and God says, You're gonna, you think they're going to deliver you, but they won't. They'll fail you. And then it says there, Lord says, I'm going to let you go your way. I'm going to let you look to the world. He says, but I'll just sit here and wait for you. I'll just wait. I love you. I'll wait. When you finally realize that you can't make it in life without me, I'll be there for you. But you need to see that first. So I'll just wait. I'll patiently wait. Isn't that a cool concept that God is waiting on us? He wants to deliver us. He wants to bring us good things. But he wants us to get to the point where we see our need for him and that we go to him, not second or not third, but we go to him first. God says, I'll just wait. I'll wait until you get to that place. So he's waiting on us. Now, we incorrectly think, and why we're tempted to go to Egypt is, we think God's not answering our prayers or solving our problems, because either one, God is uncaring, like, you know, God doesn't care, or God doesn't move, or God can't move, or I'm not good enough. Yep, knew it. I knew it. I know that I'm, I've done too much wrong. God's not going to move on my behalf. And both of those are lies, straight from the pit of hell. The Bible is very clear that God loves to give to his children. God wants to bless your socks off. That, that's, that's who God is. You have to get that. It says that in Psalm 84:11. Look what it says there. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. 
He wants to give you every good thing. He wants to just lavish you, but he wants you to know that it's coming from him. He wants you to trust that if you don't get something, that it's not a good thing. And so that's the truth, that God is waiting for us to come to him and not to look to the world for help. And then here's the last benefit I see in the Bible concerning waiting on God. It gives us a zest for life. It gives us some zeal. It puts a little pep in our step. It gives you something to wake up to, something to wake up for. I like how the King James translation of the Bible puts Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, a very familiar passage. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles, and they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Those who wait on the Lord. Notice it doesn't say to wait for the Lord here. There's a place to wait for the Lord. We just talked about that. But there's also a time to wait on the Lord. And the grammar here is the picture of a food server, a waiter, a waitress giving attention to a customer, waiting on the Lord. Vicki and I have a favorite Chinese Thai restaurant in Las Vegas. It's right down in Chinatown, as authentic as you can get. Very little English spoken among the employees there. And we've been going there for six, seven years now. And uh, we've developed a friendship with them. Uh, I'm a good tipper, so I think they, they, they uh, realize that. And so when we go in there, uh, plus we're very friendly to them, my wife especially, as soon as we go in there, they see us and, oh, and boom, point us to a table. And automatically we're seated. And because we've been there so long and because they're such great uh, wait staff, they know that we just drink water, boom, glass of water, sit down. Not even ask, do you want anything else? Uh, they pretty much know we order off the lunch menu there, the lunch specials, six or seven choices, and we have like two or three things there. Oh, you want beef? Yeah, beef? Yeah. And then to me, steam rice, right? Yeah, steam rice. To Vicky, you know, fried rice, yes. And, and uh, it, it doesn't matter. if it's, It could be five or six different weight staff. They all know that information. I don't know if they talk among themselves or how they know that. They also know we don't have to ask for it anymore. They bring out that hot chili oil that we'd like to put on our, our stuff and the hot mustard that Vicky dips her egg roll in. We don't even have to ask for that. All of this is done literally, and I'm not kidding you, within 90 seconds. It's all done. And then we get our bill, and it's even better. Our bill for two of those lunches, delicious uh, Thai Chinese food, $17 for two lunches. Yeah, fantastic food. If you ever come to Vegas, I'll give you the name of the restaurant. But what service... What service? I believe that we should strive to serve God, to wait on God with that excellence. That we should give God that same attention to detail. That, that God, hopefully, just as I bragged to you about this restaurant, just as I boasted to you about this wait staff, that God is boasting about us up in heaven, as he did Job. Remember, he told the devil, have you considered Job? Man, this guy's a righteous guy here. I want God to be boasting about me. That say, look at this guy serving me. He's serving me. He's giving things to me. Now, what does it mean to serve the Lord? And that's how I want to end my message today. I want to talk to you about how we serve God, how you can be a good waiter to God. Here's the first way. It's simply by helping people in need. It's so simple, we miss it. Well, you don't miss it here at VBF because Pastor Ron and Pastor Josh have that nailed down. I mean, just by the video, by you going out and helping people. We've got it down here, but a lot of Christians don't have it down. It's just helping 
people. Matthew 25. Again, you've, you've got you've to see this. It's so simple we miss it. Matthew 25, verse 35. Very familiar parable. <clears throat> Jesus talking says, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. And I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you as a stranger and invite you in, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, he says, you've done it to me. You've done it to me. That had to be so new to them. See, Jesus cared about people. We see that in the feeding of the 4,000 in the Bible, the feeding of the 5,000. After his message, the Sermon on the Mount, the disciples were probably like, okay, finally, let's get out of here. I'm done. A long day. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. Hey, these people are hungry. They need to eat something. And what's, what's kind of embarrassing, maybe humiliating this guy, is, is they're probably thinking, I didn't think of that. All I'm thinking about is my own self. Jesus said, no, no, they're, they're hungry. We've got to give them something to eat. See, Jesus is concerned about us having enough to eat. And he's concerned that we have enough clothes for our kids to wear. And he's concerned that, that we are uh, moms who are shut in and our parents who are aging that they're taking care of and that they're not too lonely that we check on them. Jesus is concerned about that kind of stuff. And he says that when you check on your aging parents and when you make sure that people you know make sure they got enough food, and when you make sure that if you got an extra $20 in your pocket that you'll be ready to give that away if somebody has need, he says, when you give that 20 away, he says, you're giving it away to me, to me. I had an opportunity to do something I very rarely have had a chance to do in our neighborhood in Las Vegas. I think society as a whole, you're getting away from the old Mayberry neighborhoods anymore, but Vegas is really, uh, you don't know your neighbors there. Uh, it's, it's hot there, you know, it's hot here too, but a little hotter there transient city. Most people move in so you don't grow up with your neighbors. And uh, rock yards, not a whole lot of grass over there, so there's not a place for the kids to play out there. So basically, you see your neighbors as you pull in and as you leave, and you kind of wave to them. But I don't even know my neighbor's name on, on our left-hand side. Uh, but I was walking the other day, came back from my walk, and I was getting ready to go in the house, and I heard that familiar click of a dead battery. <laughs> Nothing there. And I looked over, and it was my neighbor, the lady there, and uh, the car wouldn't start. I said, oh, okay, this is a chance to, to, to serve. And so one of them said, hey, uh, dead battery, huh? Yeah, I said, would you like me to jump you? Oh, that'd be great. I'm late for this appointment. And so I was able to just give her battery a jump. But in doing that, basically, you know what I did? I gave Jesus a jump. I, I, I jumped the Lord. If you do it to the least of these, Jesus said, you've, you've done it to me. So when you do these things that seem so small, they're actually, in God's eyes, they're huge to him. They're big to him. Giving time to people, oh, that's so important. In this fast-paced society that we're in, where, where everything is just moving so fast, we're going here and there, and traffic's bad, and you're just wanting to get out of the chaos and get home, 
and get the mask off in Vegas. You got to wear a mask over there sometimes. Get that mask off and just get in the side of the safety of your house. Giving people time is really becoming a challenge. But my wife has this down so much better than me. Vicki just, she operates at a slower pace than I do, which is a good thing. And this little waitress at this Chinese restaurant I was telling you about, uh, Chinese Thai restaurant, Vicki has formed this friendship with this lady. And here's what Vicki has found out about her through the <laughs> language barrier, because this gal speaks minimal English. And Vicki found out that she's married, her husband is older than her, and he has health problems, he can't work. She's a breadwinner. And she works lots of hours. And she, she looks haggard and tired all the time. And Vicki was talking to her the other day, and the conversation was longer than normal. It was coming up in 10 minutes that uh, she was telling Vicki what's going on and how she's feeling and, and the problems with her medical situation with her husband. And Vicki's listening. And so we got up to leave, and Vicki said, I'm going to pray for you. I'm so sorry. And this gal just leaned into Vicki and gave Vicki a hug and then pulled back and surprised, really, both Vicki and I and brought tears to my eyes. She says, I love you. Little, little Thai waitress, just from Vicki caring about her situation and loving her. And you know what she was doing, basically, Vicki? <clears throat> that was doing it as unto the Lord. She was giving Jesus a hug, just giving away your time. It's so simple to serve God that way. Secondly, we can serve God by giving God our body to use. The Bible says that Jesus is the head of the church and we're the body of Christ. He cannot do what he wants to do here on earth without a body, and you and I are the body. He's up there giving directions in heaven. The Spirit is speaking things to us, and yet he needs a body to carry those out, and you and I are his body here. Romans 12.1 puts it this way, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. You can replace that spiritual service. One of the definitions there, translations, is logical. It's your logical service to the Lord. I mean, it's logical. It only makes sense, right, that Jesus, who gave his body for us by dying on the cross, isn't it logical that we give our body back to him in service? Just logical. Just makes sense, right? He's saying, just give your bodies to him. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, My body is not my own. I've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. I remember hearing a story years ago of a pastor down in Los Angeles who found himself in a very awkward counseling situation. The lady came in uh, under one uh, premise, but it was actually a ruse. And come to find out, uh, the real reason uh, she came there was to disclose this pastor when she looked at him and said, i got to be honest with you. The reason why I'm here is this. He says, I fantasize about you. I have, I have sexual thoughts about you almost every night, and, and uh, I, I really would like to connect with you, Pastor. The pastor thought for a second, and he says, well, you know what? I'd really like to connect with you, too. But years ago, when I gave my life to Jesus Christ, I said, Lord, my body is yours, and, and I will only use it for your purposes. And ma'am, he says, that would not be God's purpose for me to give my body to you. So I, I'm going to have to say no, but I'd like to, to give you something back in return, and that is I'd like to present Jesus to you. And I think the story goes on where he, he introduced her to the Lord. I don't know if she got saved or not. Now, I wouldn't go that route in my counseling. My wife would kill me saying, what are you talking to her like that for? But anyway, it worked for this pastor. But the point being is that our body is not our own. 
We, we don't have the right to do with our body what we want. We're to give our body in logical service to the Lord. That's the most we can do. And then lastly, here, here's another way, last way you can serve God I see in the Bible, is invite people to meet Jesus. That's serving God. That's partnering with God. That's being a good waiter to the Lord. There's a parable in Luke 14. Let me paraphrase it for you. It's a rich man who is holding a dinner. And he says to his servants, I want you to go out. I want you to invite the whole city. Invite everyone. I'm, I'm putting on a feast. I'm putting on a spread. Invite them to come out. I've got entertainment. I've got everything taken care of, man. Just invite them out. And so as guys go out and come back and, and say, hey, you're not going to believe this. Nobody wants to come. What? He says, yeah, we, we talked to one guy, and his excuse was, I just bought a piece of land. I need to go check it out. And we invite another man. He says, you know, I just, I just bought five oxen. That's the equivalent of a tractor in those days. I could go check out how my tractors are doing. Are they going to work? And then another guy said, man, I would come, but I just got married. And, you know, you know the young wife, uh, she's not real crazy about going. And the man that was hosting the dinner said, well, go back out and invite the rich. Or invite the poor, invite the lame. He says, master, I said, we already thought of that. We did. They don't want to come. He says, I, go out and compel them. In fact, the wording is, go out into the highways and along the hedges. Compel them to come in so that my house may be full. And, of course, this is a parable talking about the passion of God to bring people into his family, to get the message out, to be reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ, to acknowledge your sins, to receive him as your Savior. He goes, go out, tell anybody, tell everybody, don't stop, don't give up. Compel them. That word compel, <clears throat> it has a, a broad uh, spectrum of meanings. On the low end, it can mean to invite. Just invite people. See, it's, it's not threatening for you to invite people to come to church. Maybe you're not comfortable sharing the gospel or the four spiritual laws or talking about, you know, uh, the Bible yet, but you can at least invite them to church. <clears throat> And people who don't know the Lord, if they're going to go to church, we've got one of the days of the year that they'll go, and that is Christmas Eve. People who don't know the Lord, if they're going to go to church, you know, if they're going to go, there's a good chance they're going to go on Christmas Eve and on Easter. Hence why we call them Christers, Christmas Easter. If they're going to go, they're going to go on Christmas Eve this year. Pray about who God would have you invite. And all you have to say is, hey, our church is having a, a Christmas Eve service. Or it's always a lot of fun. Would you like to attend? <clears throat> and if they say no, say, fine, go to hell. I don't care. <laughs> no, don't say that. Just No, just oh, I just thought I'd invite you out. Yeah, you change your mind, let me know. I'll, I'll look for you and we'll sit together. But what's it going to hurt? All they can say is no. So, so invite people. But the word compel can also mean to persuade there's some folks that we need to persuade. And before you do that, you have to be able to gauge how much what I call relational equity do you have in this relationship. In other words, how long do you, have you known this person? How well do you know this person? Does this person know your motives? Are, are you at a place in this relationship where you can talk a little bit more frank to them? Uh, for instance, say it's someone that uh, you, you have helped in the past uh, in their walk with the Lord. You've prayed for them. You're a little bit farther along in your faith, and you've encouraged them and, and maybe even counseled them. And then all of a sudden you hear that they're not going to church anymore. Or they're kind of falling back in their old lifestyle. <clears throat> you might say to them, hey, man, what's going on? I haven't seen you lately. Oh, man, we're going to do this. Say, hey, man, remember we talked about 
and you got a drinking problem. You know, I had a drinking problem. We know we're alcoholics. We can't drink, man. Yeah. Remember, we can't drink. Come on back to church, man. Come on back. I'll, I'll, I'll go with you. Let, let's, let's go this Sunday. So a little bit more persuasion. Some, some of those relationships, you have to persuade people a little bit more. And then there's a few, and it's just a few, where you actually might need to require them to give God attention. Who, who am I talking about here? I'm talking about parents requiring their children to attend church. It's my firm belief that as long as children are living in your home, you've got every right to require them to attend church with you. You're not forcing them to become, you know, the next Billy Graham or, or Susie Graham, but you're saying, hey, as a family, we go to church on Sunday. That's what we do. We go to church on Wednesday, and, and, and we're going to do that. So you're going to church. I don't like church. Well, you know, why don't you like church? And you talk them through it, explain to them. But nevertheless, that's a, parents, that's a great word. Learn the word nevertheless. Listen to your kids and, and you know, if, if they have some valid points, go with it. But, it. but if all of a sudden you say, we're doing this, and they give you some grief, and you listen to their, their, their complaints, but at the end of the thing, say, nevertheless, we're going to church. It's a great word, nevertheless. We're going to church. And I think that you'll see the payoff of it over the years, because oftentimes that's in their system. They're used to that. They may fall away from the Lord, but good chance when they get married and start having kids, where are they going to bring their kids? To church. Why? Because they were taught to go to church, and they see the value of it as they become an adult. So, so never feel bad about requiring your kids to go to church. <clears throat> now, I want to end our, our time together in a little bit different way. I want to ask you to stand up, if you would. We've got a group of people here that you've been waiting for God. You're waiting for Him. You've been given a promise, maybe. Arama. You've poured your heart out, something you desire really bad. You believe it's God's will. And yet it hasn't come to pass yet. And you may be growing tired. You may be growing weary. <clears throat> you might need endurance. And that's why I'm going to pray for you. Hold on. In due time, you'll reap if you don't grow weary. Hold on. Keep trusting. Let God strengthen you. Let God lengthen your faith out. Let God build you. Let that waiting time be something that will have great payoff. If you'll hang in there, you'll, you'll have the fruit at the end, but you need endurance, okay? I'm going to pray for you. And then there's others, and, and this could be inclusive of everyone here, that I'm going to pray for you <clears throat> this holiday season to be sensitive to wait on the Lord, to serve people to do the things that we talked about today that would, in essence would be service unto the Lord. Might be requiring some time that you give up. It might be requiring you to be, to be intentional. It's like, who can I encourage with a, with a text? Who needs a phone call? Who needs a, a note? Who needs an invite to church? Who needs a, a meal brought over to them? Who needs some money? Th think about some people like, hey, you know what? Who's not gonna have a good Christmas? And, and who can I just bless with some money? If you do it to the least of these, you've done it unto me, Jesus said. So I'm going to pray for some of you to find ways that you can wait on the Lord this holiday season. Okay? So let me just pray this. Father, I, I pray for 
Lord, those folks here who are waiting for you, Lord. Lord, it's very difficult, Lord, to wait. We grow impatient. We're so tempted as Israel was to, to go to the world for help. But Lord, we, we are going to wait for you, God, to bring it about. And so, Lord, I pray endurance for these people here. I pray, God, that as they just say, I'm going to trust in God. I'm not going to go uh, and, and try to manufacture this thing on my own. I'm not going to try the old coping ways of, of dealing with things through depression, through anxiety, through substance, uh, to be able to cope as I'm waiting. I'm just going to trust. I'm leaning on you and, and believe that the delay is intentional. God's moving things around. He'll bring it in his good time. And so God, give them strength to trust you with that, I pray, as they wait for you, Lord. And then I pray, Lord, for those here who, uh, whose hearts are stirred that they want to wait on you this holiday season, that they want to be a good waiter or a good waitress and find out how they can serve you and find out how they can uh, please you and, and find out how uh, you, they can give you a really good experience to find out how you can brag on them in heaven. So Lord, show them ways that they can do that. Holy Spirit inspired ways, put it in their hearts, God, as they offer themselves to you this year. And so Lord, I pray those things for us. <clears throat> Lord, we're so thankful that you came to earth for us, that Jesus became man a baby to a boy to a man and he died for us and he gave his life for us and he's come into our hearts and he's changed us if you're here you don't know the Lord oh you're missing out you're trying to get through this life on your own you're trying to, to deal with all of the struggles in life all of the the problems and all of the injustice and all of the addictions and all of the temper issues and, and all the relational things and all the kid problems, you're dealing with that on your own, in your own strength, by your own logic. And what's available for you is, is the power of God, the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who told the ocean, you can only go so far, stop there. You ever wonder why the ocean doesn't just keep going all the way from Pismo to Bakersfield? Because God said, stop. That God is available to you to change you, to provide for you, but you must humble yourself. You must express your need for him. Admit that you're a sinner. That's why he died. Ask God to forgive you. And then be willing to give your life to him. Say, I will stop living for me and I'll live for him. And begin to find out how God would have you to live. If you're here today and want to do that, if you're at home and want to do that, I'd love to say a prayer for you. Would you just raise your hand and say, today I'm going to do it. I've been contemplating it. I've been thinking about it. Today I'm going to do it. Raise your hand. Let me know. I'm, that's, all, that's all I'm going to do. I'm just going to pray over you. But you've got to humble yourself. I did it years ago. You can do it now. Raise your hand. You want to receive Christ today. You want to come back to God today. Raise your hand. Let me see. Who am I praying for today? Who am I praying for today? Whose heart's beating fast? Whose palms are sweaty? Who, who feels like they're going to fall down because you just God's on you that heavy? Who, who wants to do that today? Don't miss out on it. You'll kick yourself when you get home. The devil will steal that seed. Now's the time. God's calling you now. He'll steal it. Do it now. Don't wait till later. Keep your hand up. Father, I pray for every single person here whose hands raised right now. Lord, forgive them of their sin. You begin to just talk with God. You can be quietly or just begin to talk to God. Tell him that you need him. Tell him that you're sorry. Ask him to forgive you your sin. Tell him you want to give him your life. God, do all those things. The Holy Spirit, come inside of him right now. Come, Holy Spirit. Come live inside of him. Cause him to be born again today, God. 
Set them free, God. Set them free from sin. Set them free from addiction. Set them free from anger. Heal their brokenness. Heal the hurts of the past. Right now, Lord, just come and just move on these people who have their hands raised today, God. And we thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you that these people are coming to the dinner, God. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Welcome to the family of God. Hey, God bless you. Have a great Christmas, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening. We pray that this message has ministered to your heart. If you don't already have a church you call home, we invite you to join us at Valley Bible Fellowship for worship, Bible study, fellowship, and more. We're at 2300 East Brundage Lane in Bakersfield, California, near Mount Vernon and Freeway 58. Reach us by phone at 661-325-2251 or visit our website at vbf.org. Here is our